Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. You've heard it mentioned already, we're in those dog days of summer, and we all well, I say we all. I know I don't like this time of year. It is so flipping hot. You can't do anything without sweating. But also at the same time, there's a, there's a lot of excitement building this time of the year. The kids are going back to school. Praise the lamb, right? <laughs> kids are going back to school. We always talk about how we hate routine, but the reality is, is we love when that routine kind of starts back. We love being on a schedule. We love to know what to expect that day. But then we're also getting ready to enter what a lot would say is the most wonderful time of the year, and I'm not talking about Christmas. We all know that it's almost football season, right? Some of y'all thought I was gonna say deer season, but that's just an added bonus. But it's football season, and so we're getting so excited about what's coming this fall. And what's so funny is over the next several weeks, you'll begin to see people start wearing their college football attire. You'll see more reds, more blues, more navies, more golds. All, all these colors will begin to show up on Sunday morning because everybody's gonna shout it from the rooftops in the next five weeks that their team this year, this is the year. This is everybody's year. Everybody's starting clean slate, but this is it. And we all proclaim that until the first loss. And then what human nature does is when we lose that first game, we immediately do what? Go to social media and we post it on Facebook about how terrible everything is and we complain about everything from the uniforms to the coaching staff. But then what we do is we post these things and then we just sit back and wait and we go back and continue to check Facebook to see all of the comments because we see a wide variety of comments. You're gonna have people that agree with you you're gonna have people that defend their team, but then you're also gonna have those people that could care less about your team, and all they're gonna get on there and tell you is how pathetic of a fan you are because you just don't like your team unless they're winning. Y'all get what I'm saying? I mean, this is, this is the season that we're about to enter into. But you know what is so heartbreaking? We laugh about that, but that mentality is also something very similar that takes place in our local church. Not just necessarily, I'm not saying Chestnut Mountain, but I'm saying the church in general. We always wanna cheer when God is doing some amazing things. We always wanna put on the, the jersey of Jesus, which we should, we're the image bearers of Christ. But the second things go wrong in a church, what begins to happen is people begin to complain, they begin to fuss, and what do they do is they do it on social media, and we do the very same thing. We'll make these passive posts about something we don't like, and then we just wait for the comments. And we're gonna see people who agree. We're gonna see people who will defend, 
But then you realize that there's a lost world that gets on there and absolutely comments about how pathetic we as Christians are that we can't even get along. And that's exactly what takes place in the church so many times because we are so self-absorbed. We want things our way. But the reality is as a follower of Christ, as an image bearer of Christ, for lack of better words, it is our responsibility to put on our Jesus jersey. It is our responsibility to be that reflection in a lost world. Because we just sang about the name of Jesus and we're gonna look at that in just a minute. But the name that we are reflecting is the most highly regarded name that ever existed on earth. This is the one undefeated team. This is the team that never loses. So truthfully, there's nothing to complain about because we know how the story ends. But what we have to see is, why was Jesus given that name? The reason he was given that name is the very reason that we talked about last week. We talked about the mind of Christ. And we talked about his life of humility. We talked about his life of obedience. And because of his life, we see that he was rewarded by his father. Turn to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, and we're gonna make it a long way today. Like we're going like nine through 18 today. That's a lot of verses. Usually it's been like two verses. We're going nine through 18 today. But in verses nine through 11, you'll see the Lord's Jesus's reward for the life that he lived. In verses nine through 11, we read, Paul writes, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and he bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, here's where the name happens, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He's given this name Lord because he is undefeated. And what we realize is what Paul's talking about. It said that there's coming a time that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? Lord, that he is Lord. Now, when it says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that leaves no one out. You realize that? So even the most, the, the, the strongest atheist in the world, there's coming a day where they will declare that Jesus is Lord. But praise be unto God, while we're on earth, we have an opportunity to proclaim him as Lord. And if you proclaim him as Lord today here on earth, for you, this means salvation. But for the unbeliever, the one that waits till it's too late, the one that declares him as Lord after the second coming or after they've been called to, after their life here is over, when they call him Lord then, what that means for them is damnation and forever separation from him because it's too late. But the reality is, is every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That leaves no one out. That leaves no one out. And so in the meantime, the church's responsibility, Christians, our responsibility is to wear this banner of Christ, to wear this jersey of Jesus 
so that others will see the light in us shining through us. And we're gonna talk about that a lot more in detail in just a little while. But as B.B. mentioned several weeks ago, the context of, of, of the book of Philippians, because if you remember, this is the one letter that Paul really didn't get on to him. This is the one letter that he wrote that he was, he was really excited about what was going on. However, he does have to warn them of some potential danger. You see, in the church, in the church at Philippi, there was, there was some conflict going on. There was some seeds of dissension that were being sown. And the seeds of dissension that were being sown were between, was between two women. In Philippians chapter four, verse two, Paul says, I urge Udiah and Sintiq to live in harmony in the Lord. And so we see that there's some conflict that's going on between these two women. We don't really know a lot about the conflict, but we know that what was going on is there was a lot of complaining, there was a lot of grumbling, there was a lot of fussing, there was a lot of that thing going on. And so Paul, what we're gonna see in a minute is he was trying to get out in front of that. But the reason Paul was trying to get out in front of that is because he knew that the church's responsibility, that the church at Philippi's responsibility was to be the image bearer of Christ, to be the light in a dark world. And he knew that if dissension came in the church, that it had the potential to tarnish the testimony of the church. And obviously you could read that and you could say, well, there's, there's just, it's just two women. There's just, there's just, an argument between these two ladies, but obvious it's, it's became upfront enough that Paul has heard about it in Rome in prison. So something's going on that he has to address it, that he has to get out in front of it. And it's obvious enough that he had to, to address it because he's in Rome and he's hearing about it. Can you imagine if these two ladies were to have had social media back in the day? It had gotten ugly quick because they'd have both gone on social media and they would have both complained about one another. They would have both done the very same thing that we're all gonna do about college football in the next coming weeks. They would have complained, they would have fussed, they would have ironed out all the negativeness of, of what was going on, but then they're gonna do the same thing we do and they would go back to social media and let's, let's check out the comments. Let's see who's agreeing with me. Let's see who's disagreeing with me. But then also I'm noticing that there's people that think I'm pathetic because I'm turning the church against the church. I'm turning believers against believers. And so we see that, that we're so thankful that there was not social media back in the day. But what we're gonna read over the next several verses is Paul is going to address this potential danger. And Paul's gonna tell the Christian how they're to deal with this type of danger. So I want you to read with me in verses 12 through 18. Verses 12 through 18, Paul goes on to say, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, see, he's already commending them for how great of a job they're doing as the church. As you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Some of us need to highlight that, underline that. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent 
children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory that I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Keep, always keep in mind, Paul's in prison as he's writing this. And he says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Verse 18, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And so here we see that Paul's getting out in front of this conflict. He's commending them, but yet he's reminding them that it is their responsibility to wear the jersey of Jesus. Because he says, hey, you are the light. And he said, you're doing a great job, but you gotta be careful. Because you are the light, you must be sure that you don't get off track. You must be sure that you don't let these little distractions deter you from what your responsibility is the church is about. And so therefore he says, work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, I believe Paul was relating to all of us because as a human being, as a fleshly man, he knew that it was gonna be very difficult for us as human beings to wear this jersey of Jesus. That we are, are, are flawed people, but yet we're reflecting a holy and a righteous God. And so Paul, I believe, wants us to understand. He says, look, this is your responsibility to reflect Christ, but go ahead and get ready because it's, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be tough. How many of you can agree that it, it is tough to be a reflection of Christ? It is very tough, especially when those people cut you off on the road. Look, I'm guilty of it. I did it two days ago. My son just turned 15. You know, I'm trying to teach him all the driving etiquette, right? So this person pulls off in front of me. And I had my trailer and everything. And I would love to say, Jesus loves you. You know what I, come here, come here. Oh, I was, mm, yeah, I was hot. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I'm supposed to be wearing this jersey of Jesus because I'm supposed to be shining. That is exactly why I don't have the name of Chestnut Mountain on my truck anywhere. There's no stickers, there's no nothing. I can plead ignorance. But the reality is it is tough to be an image bearer of a holy and a righteous God. And that is why Paul says, look, this is gonna be something that we gotta work at. But what I wanna be careful of before we move past this is to understand this. He says, work out your salvation. He does not say work for your salvation. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can gain. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The other day driving down the road, I had nothing to boast about. I had not reflected Christ. And so he wants us to understand that it is by grace and grace alone that we are saved. 
And we also know that we see that what Paul is wanting us to understand is you can't work for it because this letter is to who? It's to believers. So he's telling Christians already that we have to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. So we see the fact that this is to believers, but the problem is, is where I think we've gone wrong is we've overcomplicated this verse. We've really made this verse a lot harder to understand than it really is because when we simply translate what Paul was wanting to communicate here, he's simply saying work to full completion. Work to full completion. And so at our surrender, at our, at our proclaiming him as Lord, we are given the gift of salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. But the reality is, is we're not saved from the sinful world until our flesh is gone or until Jesus comes back to take us home. And so we are working to that. We're not working for it, but we're working to that. But the hard part is, is the whole time in between. This is the process that we're all a work in progress as Christians. We're never gonna reflect the beauty and, the, and the, the glorification of God until we're out of here. Because none of us can be perfect. If we could be perfect, there was no need for Christ. And so that's what we must understand that, that from the time you're saved until the time your life is over, it is gonna be a constant process of molding and shaping and forming. But understand this, it's God's job to mold us. You hear me? It's God's job to mold us. And we read that in this text. He said, it is God who is at work in you. It is God who is at work in you. It's not you pulling off some behavior modifications because we all know that we can implement behavior modifications and those are hard to withhold, to hold up. Because again, we're sinful people. We make mistakes. But the reality is, is this process of shaping and molding is God working in us. And you've all heard the, the analogy of this is just like the potter shaping the clay. And so our responsibility as the clay is to submit to the molding hand of the potter. Our job as the clay is to submit to the molding hand of the potter. And you know, I think we can all agree, that process is not a lot of fun at times. That molding and that shaping, it hurts. It's painful. But you see, Paul, what he's gonna expand on in just a minute, Paul wants us to have the right perspective of this process. He wants us to understand the purpose of this process. And if you don't hear anything else we say today, this is what I want you to write down. This is what I want you to keep note of because I've continued to have to remind myself as I've studied this this week. One scholar said this, and if we were to sum life up, if we were to sum this human life up, he said this, human nature is to look at life as a lot of ups and downs. 
But Paul wants us to look at life as a believer, as a bunch of ins and outs. I want you to write that down, that that we as humans like to look at life as a bunch of ups and downs. What Paul wants us to understand is that life as a believer is simply a bunch of ins and outs. And what I'm talking about is this is God, life is about God working in us so that we as Christians will live him out. God working in us so that we can live him out. So instead of a bunch of ups and downs, what we have to do as the church, what we have to do as Christians is recognize that what's going on in our life is not a bunch of ups and downs, but it's simply a bunch of ins and outs. But what we have to do is submit to what's going on on the inside so that we can reflect him on the outside. So life is not about ups and downs, it's about ins and outs. And what's interesting is, This same language of working out your salvation is the same language that a miner would use, like a gold miner or a coal miner. And we all know that a miner's job is to get out what is of value. It's to get all of the value out of that mine. And so that miner would go into this mine and would begin to to shape, begin to tear away, begin to pull out and begin to take all of the value out of the mine. And what we have to realize is that we are that empty vessel. We are that cave and the Holy Spirit of God is entering into us so that he can pull out all of our value. And that value is him. That value is what's inside of us because it's him at work in us. But you know, just as we talked about a minute ago, in mining, there's a lot of tools to be used. Mining is a process. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at three of these tools very quickly that God wants to use in our life to mine us, to shape us, to mold us, to get out of us what is inside. The first tool that he wants to use is, you guessed it, his word. He wants to use his word. One scholar wrote this, God's divine energy is released in our lives through this inspired word. This word is to a spirit-filled man what food ought to be to a physical man. We can't live without it. How dare we think as Christians that we can live without the bread of life? How do we think we can make it without opening the word of God and letting it fill us, letting it chisel away all of the wrongs, all of the things in us? This is how God works in us is when we implement the word of God in our life. How many times do you wake up in the morning And you go to grab your phone and then about two hours in to the day, you realize that your phone wasn't plugged up. You look over there and you're like, 10%. I thought I plugged it up. You realize that ought to be the example of our life if we try to do life without this. It's gonna be hard to make it through a day. So what we've gotta make sure that we're disciplined about doing is plugging into the word of God before you start your day. Before you start your day, get plugged in. So the first tool that he uses is the word. The second tool is prayer. 
Now, prayer it's interesting how God works because on my board in my office as I was praying several weeks back, um, sometime in the fall, don't know exactly when yet, but we're gonna enter into a series just simply on prayer. Because when we define prayer, that's another thing we've overcomplicated. Do you know what simply stated prayer is all about? All prayer is is simply the posture of dependence. Prayer is simply the posture of dependence. It is us acknowledging, God, I can't do it without you. And so we can all get kind of chill bumps when we think that because it's like, yeah, I'm a prayer warrior. I can't do it without him because I know that prayer is that. It's the posture of dependence. But do you know what prayerlessness is? The posture of independence. Prayerlessness is the posture of saying, God, I don't need you, I got today. God, I got this. And you know, that's the only battle and the hardest part with routines is because when we're married to our routines, it gets pretty easy to do prayerless. And so when we're prayerless, we're in a posture of independence saying, God, I got this. God, I don't need you today. But you see these tools the word of God and prayer in us is what God is wanting to use in us so that he can be lived out of us. And I know some of you are going, well, you said three tools, that was only two. You're right, because the third tool, we can kind of all get on board with, with prayer and, and, and reading of a word. Okay, we, we can all get on board with that. That's very elementary to Christianity. That's very elementary to our faith. It's because we can all know that we, that we lack in those areas from time to time. But those are things that we can be disciplined about. Those are things that we can, that we can make a commitment to. Okay, starting tomorrow morning, I, I'm gonna get up and spend time with the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna read. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do these things just so that I can be charged up for the day so that I can take on the battles of the enemy in this day. Those are ones that we can get on board with. But the last tool that God often wants to use is the very thing that's happening in the church at Philippi. The last tool that God often wants to use is the word suffering. God wants to use suffering in our lives to shape and mold us into the image of his son. Because if you remember going back in Philippians chapter one, Paul challenged the church as he said, look, anytime you face trials, anytime you face struggle, you've got a lost world watching. And how you respond is gonna either reflect Jesus or it's gonna dim the light of Christ. And so we see here that, that, the, that the, the suffering that is taking place, now look, we gotta make sure that we define the word suffering. Suffering is simply this, it's a state of undergoing pain distress, or hardship. Now keep in mind, some of us would look at it as this conflict between two women is, is not a whole lot of suffering. But according to this, it is it's hardship. It could be leading to something catastrophic. It could be leading to something that could be very detrimental for the testimony of the church. 
And so in the context of this letter, the hardship that they're talking about is this conflict between these two ladies. They are facing suffering. They are facing distress. But what we realize is that God's wanting to use this suffering. He's wanting to use this distress. He's wanting to use this dispute to be a reflection to a lost world. He's wanting to use how they respond to this suffering to be a light in the world. And you see, and we're gonna expand on it in just a minute, but when these three tools work together, we see exactly what God's doing. Because the reality is the word teaches, prayer leads, and suffering practices. You heard me? The word teaches, prayer leads, but suffering practices. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? You know, I remember I loved coaching. And some of you are gonna know exactly what I'm talking about, but at the end of about every practice, whether it be football or basketball, you would always enter into a time of, of situational coaching. Like many of you know that in football, it's the two-minute drill. You start the ball on the other 20, and you know that you've gotta drive the length of the field with about a minute and a half left. And so you're in a, in a state of urgency. You've gotta get the length of the field, but you're doing this in practice. So therefore, if the game comes on Friday night or on Saturday or on Sunday, if you're down by three points or you're down by five, you're down whatever, and you've got the ball, you're on the opposite 20. Now you know how to respond. You've learned during practice. I remember in basketball, we would do this at the very end of our basketball practices. And the funny thing was, is this was always the most, the highest energy part of practice because everybody loved it because they're under pressure, they're getting to perform and you would put things on the clock like, okay, we're, we're down one with 10 seconds to go. We've got the ball, what are we gonna do? Or flip it around. You say, okay, we're, we're down one, we've got 10 seconds to go and we don't have the ball. But now fast forward to the game and now we've got the opportunity to put on display what we've learned. You see, that's exactly how the word of God, prayer and suffering goes together. If we're spending time in the word of God, learning the word of God and the Holy Spirit through prayer is leading us, then when we face suffering, now we have the opportunity to live out what we've learned through the word and prayer. It's situational. And this is the opportunity for the church to be able to put on display what we've learned in spending time with the Lord. This is situational practice, if you would. But we have an opportunity to live it out. But you know, Paul takes this situation and he tells the church exactly how to respond. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's almost like a gut punch right there, ain't it? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Don't forget, he's addressing the conflict here. Again, we don't know a whole lot. We don't, there's only two verses about this argument that's going on with these ladies. But we know that there's grumbling. We know that there's complaining. But what we also can assume is that this, this disagreement has expanded between and outside these two ladies. Number one, Paul's heard about it. 
But what we have to realize is that it was affecting more people than just the two involved. Now, the reason that we bring light to that is, is because our human nature, our human nature is that in conflict, what do we do? We go in recruitment mode, don't we? When we have conflict with someone, when we're complaining about something, when we're frustrated with something, we go into recruitment mode because maybe we say misery loves company. And that's the very reason that people go to social media and they post all their complaints. They post all of their, their negative comments is because they want people to comment so they can say, oh, look, they're on my side. They're on my team. They're on my, they're, 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 they, they believe like I do. And so we go into this recruitment mode and what we have to be led to believe is that's exactly what was going on. That is the very reason that Paul had to address it is because we would be led to believe that maybe these two women are going into recruitment mode. It's now gone beyond just them not getting along and now they're going and pulling in all these other people. And then all of a sudden we begin to see this snowball effect. And now we're forcing people to pick sides. Now we're forcing people to be on one team or the other team. And this all started with just simply complaining about something. But you know, you can turn on any television show, you can turn on any newscast, you can read any article, but the common language of our culture is complaining. Y'all do realize that, right? I mean, that's what our culture's based upon, is just complaining what I don't like, and it's somebody else's job to fix it. And I'm gonna complain about it until somebody else does fix it. But our common language in our culture is complaining. And we would be led to believe once again that this was the same language of the culture back in those days. Because look at what Paul says in verse 15. This is where he's calling us out. This is where he's calling us to be different from the culture. In verse 15, do all this without grumbling or disputing so that, here's why I want you to do it without grumbling and dis disputing. Here's why I want you to do it without complaining. So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above, reproach in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You see, simply translating that verse, there's a lost world watching how Christians are gonna respond to suffering. There's a lost world watching how we as Christians are gonna respond to conflict. You know, and that's why Paul tells us and reminds us that, that we're to be lights in the world. Matthew chapter five, we're told that we're the salt and the light. In the way we respond to conflict, in the way that we respond to suffering, you realize you're either shining a light or you're dimming a light. You know, and it's no accident that Jared gets up and pours his heart out a minute ago of some suffering that his brother is going through with their son. But can I tell you, that his light was never shining more 
Not because he was singing some beautiful song, but because he was in a posture of humility, saying, God, I don't like this suffering, but I'm gonna trust you anyway. And you know what a lot of you are gonna leave here today remembering? That. Because you remembered how he's responding in suffering. How he's responding, because the reality is, is to sing what a beautiful name it is, is easy when life is good. It's easy when things are going great. But sometimes it's not as easy when things are hard. When there's sick children when there's a sick wife, when you pull out of the house and the kid decides to blow up his diaper and you don't have wipes. There's some difficult times that it is hard to shout the name of Jesus from the rooftop because maybe in your heart of hearts, you may not even believe he's Lord at that moment. And that is what the body of Christ is to gather around each other on the days that we don't feel like lifting our hand in praise, that somebody's gonna help us do it. That somebody's gonna lift our arms for us. That they're gonna pull up that rock right beside us and say, look, I know you're having a hard time, but I'm gonna hold your hand today and I'm not going anywhere. That's what the body of Christ is all about. But the reality is, is there's a lost world watching that. A lost world doesn't understand how Jared Cagle can fall on his knees when his little nephew's life is on the line and how he can, can praise Jesus. That makes no sense to a people in a world without hope. But if we'll allow it, it can make sense to us because we know that joy comes in the morning that we've all got an eternity to look forward to. But you know, the question is, is when we face these sufferings, these conflicts, are we promoting unity? Or are we sowing discord and casting confusion in a world? You see, we watched the example of Jesus. This is what we talked about last week. We talked about Christ's allegiance to his father. He was his bondservant. He was his slave. And he was willing to do whatever his master had instructed him to do. So we see that Christ was faithful in his suffering. And keep in mind, Paul's writing this letter from prison. Paul was faithful in his suffering. What are we faithful to in our suffering? Because you know what it's real easy to be faithful to when we suffer? Our flesh. It is easy to be faithful to our flesh. It's easy to pout. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to get frustrated. So it's easy to be faithful to our flesh. But sometimes it seems impossible to be faithful to our calling. But guess what? As Paul said just a moment ago, God is working in you. He's working in you. And so where we also have to be careful as we get ready to close is that we have to understand that joy comes from faithfulness to the call. It doesn't say happy but joy comes from faithfulness 
to the call. And, and Paul exemplifies that in those last three verses, 16 through 18. He talked about having joy in the midst of his suffering. But how did he have joy in the midst of his suffering? He said he was poured out as a drink offering. How did he have joy in his suffering? He said that he was a sacrifice. How did he have joy in his suffering? He served his way out of it. So what would it look like as we have the church, say something goes wrong, say we're in conflict. Instead of complaining, grumbling, which is disobedience, by the way, what if we just served our way out of it? What if we just served our way out of whatever disagreement there was? What if we served our way out of the suffering? What if we served our way out of the hardships? I can promise you, you'll find joy. I promise you, you will find joy. And that's what Paul wants us to understand is yes, we wanna talk about when life is over that joy is coming that we get to spend eternity in heaven. But what Paul wants to also remind you of is that you can have joy while you're here. This world is, yes, it's difficult, it's hard, but praise be unto God, we're redeemed. We have nothing to fear. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, we're gonna go through what we say, the ups and downs, but what we've gotta stop and recognize that instead of ups and downs, they're simply ins and outs. The sufferings that we're facing, God is wanting to work in us so that we can live him out to a world that just looks for light. For a world that is looking for light. But here's the most comforting thing that I want you to hear today. Not only is God working in you, not only is he working in you, He's working through you, but here's the exclamation point. He's gonna work with you. You're not in it alone. He's gonna work in you, he's gonna work through you, and he's gonna work with you. He's gonna hold your hands up. He's gonna hold you tight to his chest and say, my child, I've got you. You know, John Newton, the writer of the song Amazing Grace, he kind of created this, this story that I think we can all relate to, that there was a man riding to New York City on his, his carriage to take on his a possession of a large estate. Somebody had passed and gone, and he was on the way in his carriage to New York to, to inherit whatever this possession, this, this large estate was. He was one mile from New York where he was supposed to arrive. And I laughed because it said his carriage broke down. I don't really know what that means. I don't know if the horse died. I don't know if the wheel fell off. I don't know what happened, but his carriage broke down. Now keep in mind, he's got a large inheritance awaiting him. And so therefore, because the carriage broke down, he was forced to walk the last mile. And what this man did was he clenched his fist, he gritted his teeth, and he complained every step of the way. You and I can look at that story and say, what a dummy. What a dummy. He, had an he was one mile away. Just run it out. 
But do you realize this is our attitude sometimes as the church? We're one mile away. We're on the back stretch, church. It ain't gonna be long. So instead of when our carriage breaks down, instead of when the suffering comes, instead of clenching our fists, instead of gritting our teeth, what if we just smiled the last mile? What if we just loved the last mile? What if we just served the last mile? Can I tell you, if we will have that mindset that life is not ups and downs, it's ins and outs, I can promise you if we will recognize it that way, there's gonna be a lot more people following in that last mile because they're gonna be drawn to it. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I, I know without a doubt that every person in here is battling with some sort of suffering, whether it's a dispute, whether it's a hardship, whether it's conflict, whatever it may be. How have you been responding? Have you been shining a light or have you been dimming the light? Because there's a world watching. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.